But anyways, let's, uh, let's get started today. Uh, my name is Pastor Mark. I am the youth pastor here, uh, if you don't know me for whatever reason. Um, and I know if you've been watching youth ministry at all, if you come on Wednesday nights, we've been playing a whole lot of games and doing some fun stuff. And we've been giving testimonies. Um, and I, man, is that me? Am I doing that? Uh, and so we, we've, we spent the first half of the year l- just learning, doing, uh, doing like full on, we're doing a, a session, we're breaking out and talking about it, asking questions. And so for the, for the beginning of summer, we give them a break to have some fun and games and we'll launch back into the teachings for the rest of the year after camp. <clears throat> but I say all to say, this morning, I wanted to give you some insight into what we've been talking about back in the youth ministry. And a real quick shout out, I know Angela Warlow had left, um, she came into first service, but we also have Blaine. They've been running our fifth and sixth group and teaching them, and when, whenever I ask the questions for our, our fifth and six-year-olds, they come up and I'm like, oh, you know, they're cute, they're going to try to answer it. And they literally answer better than probably our adults leaders could answer, and they're like, holy cow. You know, it's, it's just really cool, and I just appreciate you and, and um, Blaine and Angela Warlow for what you guys do back there. But I'm going to give you guys some insight on what we've been talking about, and I know that kind of says, he's going to preach to us youth sermons. You know, you're like, I thought they just did pizza parties. But uh, this is some good stuff. We've been really diving into the scriptures, and I'm going to present it to you. I'm going to do about three months of lessons in, a, in a, well, 30, 45 minutes, whatever. So this should be fun. So... I'm going to start off and we're going to talk about, oh, did I say fifth and six-year-olds? I meant fifth and sixth grade. Sorry. Thank you for texting me up there, whoever it was. <clears throat> Thanks. So, yeah, listen, I get texts all the time while I preach. All right, so anyways, uh, and there it goes again. Okay, thanks. So, um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're going to go to airplane mode real quick. All right. There we go. So let me get started here. All right. Uh, so we've been preaching uh, a series we call Descaled. And as you can see by the, the name, Descaled. And I want to I bring you into this story, but I'm going to bring you into the story of a man named Saul. Okay. And this is the New Testament, Saul, not, the, not to be confused with King Saul in the Old Testament. A man named Saul. And, and I want you, what I want you to understand first is that Saul is a Pharisee, okay? The Pharisees were the hyper-conservative religious leaders of Jesus' time. They were the ones that believed in Jewish purism, that, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to mix with the Romans, we didn't want to mix with the Gentiles, we, we keep everything in, uh, in-house, and we focus on the scriptures, and we keep our traditions the old ways. The Sadducees, you'll hear about them in the book of Acts, they were the ones who were the more, let's be like Rome, let's borrow the best parts of everybody, and just kind of blend it all together, and it's cool. So, Paul, or Saul, was a Pharisee, a, a religious leader at his time, somebody that knew Scripture in and out, had, and he even kind of exceeded above his peers. He was, a, he was the real deal, okay? He was a Pharisee among Pharisees, uh, super hardcore Pharisee who <laughs> really championed Yahweh and the God of the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament at the time. They called it the Law and the Prophets, but the God of the Jewish people. And this Christian group came in, and he's like, they're defiling everything we've been doing, everything we've been working. Remember, we've been trying to keep the Jewishness pure, and now they're adding in this new character, and they're claiming that he's also God. And most absurd of all, they're claiming he resurrected. And so Saul had a real issue with these new Christians, okay? So Jesus came, he, he 
preached the kingdom of heaven. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. Now we're, now we're passing on. But one of the things Jesus did in his time was create a group of 12 disciples. He had 12 guys. He's like, hey, you guys are going to be the ones who carry my church, and, and we're going to go forward and build my church. One of those 12, though, betrayed Jesus plays right into the hands he thinks of you know the hands of the enemy but really it was in God's playing into God's hand all along and he's the one who betrays and gives Jesus over so when they go to start the church they lost one and they're like hey let's replace let's replace Judas who's who's the one who betrayed let's replace him with another one so we can have a nice even 12 because Jesus wanted 12 let's have 12 enter a man named Stephen okay so Stephen's the replacement to Judas Iscariot That's where we're at. And I'm going to introduce you, Saul, the way he's introduced into the Bible. So Stephen is out there preaching, making lots of friends, apparently. uh, But he's preaching to the people and really trying to convict them. And they are not happy with him. So I'm going to pick up in Acts 7, verse 51. And if you do a paper Bible and you follow along, you're probably going to get a workout today. So Acts 7, verse 51. (coughs) You stiff, this is Stephen talking, you stiff-necked people. See, I told you he's making friends. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? You even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Now, they had killed John the Baptist. You know, there's one of them that predicted the righteous one was coming. That's Jesus. All right, so, and now you have betrayed the murderer and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but did not obey it. And so, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing uh, at the right hand of God. (laughs) He's doubling down on the Jesus thing when they're getting angry at him. And so at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the, I love this, covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, here it is, here's here's Saul's entry, one of the most prolific figures in the entire New Testament and of probably the Christian faith. Here's his entrance into the story. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. That's it. That's all they reference. Now we're back into this. And while they were stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When, when he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Saul is a little side note into the story of Stephen. That's where we see him enter. But you notice how they lay their coats at the feet of Saul. That's kind of a weird thing. It's like, is he like, is he like getting the coats at the door or what is this? Uh, and, and most scholars believe that this was a sign of, they, they lay their coats down, they're, they're kind of a permission. May we continue this persecution. So in this image, Saul is of some authority at this moment. So Saul is probably one of the people, that, I mean, they had to have somebody there and they're looking at him and he's saying, Go ahead, I'm not going to stop you. I could, but I'm not going to. And so clearly he was A, of, of authority, a figure of authority, and B, he is giving permission to stone one of the now 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's there, and that's his entry. They go back into the story of some of the other disciples in, in Acts 8, and they go through Acts 8, that's cool. We get into Acts 9, and here's where we finally focus on Saul. And it says this in Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, 
Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue of, synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, to Christ, the Christian faith, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? <clears throat> who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. And so God speaks to a man named Ananias. He's like, hey, listen, go talk to this Paul guy. Or Saul guy, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Saul guy, go talk to him. And, and Ananias is like, whoa, 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 that's the guy who was trying to put us all in prison. I don't want to talk to him, you know, like, come on. And so God, God says this in verse uh, 15, he says, But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their king and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must, must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went out to the house, went out to the went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's, Saul's eyes, um, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Then Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and at once began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called this name? And, he hasn't, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to jump one more scripture here before we get started. We're going to jump to Galatians 1, 15 through 17. It's just continuing on this story. He's talking about this moment to the uh, church, of, uh, the church in, of Galatia. All right, so, but, this is Paul talking now, Saul talking, uh, but when God, who sent me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among him amongst the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem and see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted uh, with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. Okay, so Saul, he is out there. He has permission, authority, experience. He has the know-how and the zealousness to go and wipe out the Christians wherever he can find them. And boy, is he on his way to go do it. He already got one of the 12. That probably stirred up some recognition, like, oh, you got one of the 12? You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're a real Pharisee now. You know, not many people can say that. And so he's walking to go and, and put more in prison to, to stop this Christian thing, these followers of the way. And Jesus himself just, actually, I have a better plan, Saul. Instead of you going that way, you're going to go in the 180 degrees and you're going to do my will because I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. And so in that moment, the light shows up and, and Saul falls to the ground and, and it says he was 
blinded. He's blinded, he can't see, he gets up, he can't see. He opens his eyes and realizes he was blind. And I wanna, I wanna contend with you today that I believe that he opened his eyes to see that he's been blind the whole time. I think, you know, just, just take, walk with me for a second. He opens his eyes and sees the truth after the Spirit shows up. Once the Spirit cho- shows up, it reveals the truth. Saul, Saul, you, you thought you saw. You thought, that's ironic. You thought you could see, but you, you haven't seen the whole time. You at least haven't seen the whole picture the whole time. And so, after that, Saul gets up and, and, and Ananias comes and prays for him. And it says something like scales fell from his eyes. And this isn't a theological stance or anything like that, but I find it interesting that in Genesis, the serpent is the one that kind of coerces or, or, or shows people to walk, Adam and Eve, to walk towards their own way, to, to find their own faith in themselves. And then something like scales is what falls off Saul's eyes when he finally begins to see for the first time. Um, but what I want to really highlight here is this Saul character was a Pharisee, as I said, but he's an expert on Scripture. An expert on Scripture, meaning he knew it in and out, meaning he taught it. Multiple times. He had it memorized. He knew more scripture than probably, probably maybe even this whole room combined off the top of his head. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Chances are he had the entire Pentateuch, the first five books, memorized. Okay? The real deal. This is Saul. And he knew scripture in and out and was using it to march against Jesus as he's walking to persecute the, the followers of the way. And his eyes will be opened, and suddenly he will wield Scripture, the same Scripture, the exact same stories in Scripture, to prove <laughs> that Jesus is the Messiah. What on earth happened? What? How could you say, well, I used it to, to, to validate this direction, and now I'm going to use it to validate this, this direction. And the only plausible answer is that his eyes were truly opened, more than just generic sight, but into the spirit and into the truth. And a lot of us try to learn our way to understand the Bible, but I don't believe we can do so without the help of the spirit. But I'll, I'll get to that later. So now Saul is marching to teach Jesus to the Gentiles and the whole world. And so, what I want you to understand this morning is when Saul was teaching these stories, I wonder sometimes if, if, if we teach the stories the same way blind Saul taught the stories. That we, we say, if you want to understand the story of Noah, it's, it's Noah was obedient to God, and, and David, you need to be obedient to God. That's the story. That's it. That's what you should take away. You're, you should be like Noah. Don't be like Noah. It doesn't turn out well. All right. Uh, or uh, Joseph, if, 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 you're just, if you're just faithful, you'll get that work position if you just walk like Joseph did, okay? And so we go on and on to, to, to teach principles that blind Saul could have preached from the Scripture. And that's what I want to get to today. I want to challenge us that it's not, the wrong, it's not wrong, it's just not the complete picture of what's really going on in these stories. And so, this is what we've been doing with the youth group for, again, for the last couple months. And we've been focusing on this, seeing the scripture the way maybe Saul saw it in a new way. 
And so uh, if we take scriptures like Hebrews 1, 3, the writer of Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of him. Well, this should tell us that Jesus is just like God. If you've seen Jesus in the flesh, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. It's the exact representation. So I love this because in reality, what, what they're saying is if you've experienced Jesus, you saw God better than anybody ever has. And, and the disciples will talk about how, how much of an advantage they have being with Jesus on this side of the cross, seeing the finished work on the cross. Um, and then ultimately what I want to get to is the part where, where Saul's talking and he's writing to Timothy, one of his, his, he's mentoring Timothy, and he writes to Timothy and he says one of the most quoted scriptures that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do today. But 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul or Saul, he, he goes by Paul later, that's why I keep saying that if you don't know. He goes by Paul later. He says, all scripture is God-breathed, okay? That's not necessarily an original thought that Saul had or Paul had at the time. The Pharisees and, and the Jewish people, they believed that Yahweh inspired these scriptures. But I wonder if he didn't notice something much, much, much deeper than just, well, God was inspiring with his law. Because I think, I think Paul saw that God was inspiring with Jesus the whole time. And so this morning, we are going to go through Genesis that's right, the book, the 50-chapter book. Uh, brace yourselves, we'll be here till 3. Uh, no, we're going to go through some of the story of, this, of the book of Genesis. So I'm not going to hang up on, on certain things, but I want to go through some of the big highlights in the story. And Dorian, are we good to get that mic again? Okay, so I'm going to go through this, and I'm gonna, I know we're doing squads for our youth ministry, so um, if any youth want to come up and help me at all, it's totally your choice. But I'm going to ask a question after every part of the story. Simply, where is Jesus? Okay? So if any of the youth want to run up here and answer, you can. If not, I'm just going to keep preaching. So you need to actually run up here and get it. Okay? All right? This should be fun. This is totally organized and planned. And they totally knew, they didn't know about this at all. Aiden, why are you leaving? (laughs) All right. So. We open up the story in Genesis, in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is a list of the days. Genesis 2 is where we introduce with Adam, introduced to the actual story. And so we have God as creator, one of the most uh, important parts of the entire Bible. If, you, you know, if we don't get to that part, we understand that God is creator, we're in trouble. <laughs> the rest of the story doesn't play out that well. But that God is creator. God has made all things. And so we are introduced with his first man he created named Adam. And he's, he's made Adam, and Adam is charged with, with naming the animals. He's charged, you know, God's like, oh, it's not good for him to be alone. He should name the animals. And, and, then, and then he's like, well, that's not enough. He needs a companion. Enter Eve. <clears throat> we have this, this whole introduction. But as God makes man, he picks up man, and he puts him in a garden. And Genesis 2, 9 says, The Lord made all kinds of trees grow of, of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food, and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, this is, this is Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's in that perfection. He's in, hey, everything's great. This is perfect. I got everything I could need. I got a companion. I got all the animals. This is great. And that's where Genesis 2 closes. It just kind of lets it, lets it, hey, God made it. It was all good. Okay? But if you read Paul writing in Colossians 1, I don't think I have this one, but Colossians 1, he says that, you know, Jesus is the firstborn among all creation. Jesus was there at the start. He's preeminent in all things. 
So I would contest that Jesus is already here. Okay? And, and Jesus is here. And I'm going to ask the question. And again, I'll keep going if you guys don't want to run up here. They they're all love being in front of people and talking on microphones. But where is Jesus in the story? Come on. Come, a little faster. Where's Jesus? Oh, I didn't turn. No, in the story. Do you know? Oh, <laughs> once you come up, it's, oh, good job, Brennan. Brennan doesn't always make it on Wednesday nights, but uh, anybody else? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to go through it again. If you all were not, they're all, I, I got all the scared people. I knew Hunter was going to, Hunter was in first service. He was trying to answer every single one of them, and I knew it was going to happen. So, uh, but there's two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I talked about this last time I preached. There in the garden was the tree of life. Later, we will see that that tree of life will return because Adam chooses and Eve will eventually choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the tree of life, the fruit from the tree of life, there is Jesus on the tree who will be killed for our sins, who like a fruit will fall to the ground, be buried, and that seed will multiply and eventually create the entire church. God had Jesus there in the garden as the tree of life. And man said, I'm going to choose my own ways. I'm going to choose my own opinion of what right and wrong, of good and evil are. I want to be like God determining those things. When in reality, we, we aren't equipped to handle that. And so Jesus is there in the garden. And when we jump into Genesis 3, we're going to continue in the garden we're going to go to the next story. There's the fall where the serpent enters in. It convinces Eve that, you know, you're not going to die. It's cool. You can do this. And then Eve is like, okay, I'm convinced. And then she convinces Adam. And Adam's, you know, of course, just does whatever his wife says. And so he eats of the, of the fruit. And then they both, their eyes are open. They realize they're, they're naked. And they run and hide. And, and they're hiding from God. Hiding from God. I love it. Hiding from God. And then God's like, oh, Adam, where are you? And, 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 he's, and he's all like, you know, hey. Uh, I was ashamed because I was naked. And God's like, well, who told you that? Right? Who told you that? And obviously he knows what happens. And so God will come down. He said, Adam, what did you do? And Adam's like, oh, she did it. And she's like, nope, serpent did it. And then God's like, okay, well, then you're all going to get punished. Um, and so he goes through and he talks about what's going to happen to man and woman. But then he gets to this, chapter, uh, this part of the chapter here. <clears throat> In Genesis 3, 15, he says, I, and this is talking to the serpent, Okay talking to the snake. I will put, and <laughs> I said that in first service, uh, enmity. Why can't I say it? I said it in the first service. Fine. Okay. Between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. Okay. This is what he says to the serpent. Okay. If you study scripture, you'll see that whenever we bring in people and lineages, it's the father of the father, 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 father. Okay, there's not really a seed or an offspring of woman. It's always is it the male, male-born patriarchy. That's that's how they that's how they tracked things. Okay, and in other script and other versions, they say seed of the woman, but that's impossible too. Quick biology lesson, real quick. That's not that's not possible. Okay, and so he's like, hey, the the seed of woman or the offspring of woman is going to crush your head. Well, that would, the only way that would be possible if, 
is if somebody was born of a virgin. Somebody was born of just a woman and not a man. And then that, that person, that one person, that one person would have to crush the head of the enemy. But he would strike at his heel, but he would crush his head. This is the first prophecy in Scripture. And so when Jesus is on Calvary or up on the hill of Golgotha, meaning place of the skull, his feet are over the skull of the enemy. And some people even, and this, again, this is just some people's speculation, that maybe even Goliath's head was buried there. That Jesus, is, that Jesus the son of David, his feet were over the skull of, of Goliath. But either way, here is, God is saying, okay, we have Jesus as the tree of life, okay? So Jesus is plan A. You should have stuck with, with the tree of life. And then, oh, geez, you screwed up. Well, Jesus is also plan B. So, and he's plan C and D, and actually he's the only plan I ever had. It's been Jesus the entire time. And so Jesus is here in Genesis 3, and God is speaking about him in this case. So, Let's continue. Oh, I didn't ask where Jesus was because I answered the question, but there he is. Okay, so uh, story number three. Then we get into the first sacrifice, the first mention of sacrifice. So Adam and Eve, they have two children named Cain and Abel, and Abel and Cain are there, and they're going to give sacrifices to God Almighty, Yahweh, and they're going to they're go ahead and just, you know, present what they've had. So Cain comes, and he, he presents his, his fruit and grain, and he, he produces this sacrifice. And Abel comes, and he produces uh, the fatted, fatted meat of the animals. And God says, I'm going to honor this sacrifice and not this one, which turns Cain to be jealous towards his brother, Abel, and in his jealous rage, he kills his brother, into which God then confronts him in Genesis, um, in Genesis 10.10. Here we go. Uh, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground. And Cain's like, hey, they're going to kill me. Don't do that. And God marks him and says, you go out there. They're not going to kill you, but you're, you're done. You're done. You're out. You're done. And so there's the story of Cain and Abel. My question is, where's Jesus? Where's he at in the story? He's right there again. Cain, the second born. Adam, the second born, the youngest, presents a sacrifice of animal, okay? A, a blood sacrifice, if you will. And, and, the, and Cain is there and producing all kinds of, of other sacrifices. But God says, I'm going to only honor one sacrifice. But here's the truth in Scripture. God only ever really honored one sacrifice. He's been waiting for one sacrifice from the start of the story. He said, I am waiting for my son, that sacrifice, and I'm going to honor that. And the people that have been sacrificing in vain all around my son, in their jealous rage, they're going to murder him and not realize that they're going to enact my plan that I've had since Genesis 2 to bring in my son and have him die for them. And, the, and Cain represents the Jews in that time that were jealous and angry. And Abel is the second son who gives the one true sacrifice as in is killed for it. And if you noticed in the scripture we read, he said, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are driven from that. So Abel's blood curses Cain, but Jesus' blood 
Jesus' blood doesn't curse, but it blesses not just one person, but the whole world through whoever will, will drink, eat of his flesh, drink of his blood, have share communion with him and follow after him. And so we have Jesus showing up in the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to keep going. Then we have the, remember the one, one of the most famous Genesis stories, Noah and the ark. Okay? Well, here we go. We have Noah out there. Everything has gone to chaos. Everyone is sinning. God's like, oh, well, you know, abandon the plan. I regret this whole thing. They, these people, they're terrible. And so they need to wipe them out. But wait, 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 wait. There's, there's one. In Genesis, um, Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's one. There's one person. Everybody else needs to go. There's one person that finds favor in the Lord. And I'm going to commission him to build an ark. And on that ark, he's going to put one or two of every animal, and his wife and, and children can, can join him. And they're going to, they're going to, the, the rain's going to come, it's going to flood the whole world, destroy it, and they're going to be saved on the ark of salvation. All right? And then after that, they'll, they'll come down and they'll replenish the earth. Now, that, that happens, and we know about the story, and Noah sends out the birds, and it comes back, and all of that. If, you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard that story. And it sounds kind of like, oh, God's kind of, yeah, that's kind of mean whatever. But what if I told you the story was about Jesus too? Okay? And again, anybody, anybody want to throw at it? I'm going to stop asking. I got all the kids that are scared to talk. Olivia, you up there? You love to talk in front of people. Oh, okay. All right. So here's what's going on. The world is full of sin. God is looking to and fro, can't find anybody. Can't find even one. Not one who's righteous, but then he does. He finds one, only one, who is righteous. Only one. Only one in all time. Nope, you lost it. All right. <laughs> only one. And he says, that's the one that's going to save all creation. And so he builds the ark. Again, out of wood. Here we go again with the wood thing. But that's going to keep going. So he builds the ark. And, all, and he saves an, the animals. He saves creation, which Christ's death on the cross was to bring back salvation to the, or bring back creation to the Father as well. And so Noah is righteous and faithful. And so if I told David, back to David, if I told you, you know, you need to be obedient like Noah, well, we, we've tried being obedient for an entire Old Testament. It didn't go well. Obedience wasn't enough for us. Obedience is good, but it wasn't enough. We couldn't, we couldn't do it. We needed somebody else to do it. And so Noah is a type of Christ in the story that he is the one who God sees through all time who is righteous, and he will build a way to salvation. And so who are we? Well, we're not Noah. We established that. Some people are like, we're the giraffes. Um, the only people that are saved was the bride of Noah and his children. And what do we call the church? the bride of Christ. We are God's children. It was Noah's faithfulness, like Christ, who everyone deserved death, but through him, his bride and his children would be saved and spared from the punishment for sin. Let's keep going. Then we have Abraham introduced into the scene, and Abraham's a, a, I'm good, a prolific figure uh, that, um, sorry, 
uh, a prolific figure that, that is kind of the, the part where God sets up his plans. And he establishes plans with Abraham. In Genesis 12, 2 through 3, he says, he's talking to Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will, uh, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Here's God saying his plan again. Hey, guess what? I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Problem, Abraham doesn't have any kids. That's a problem when you're supposed to bless all the nations through your offspring and you don't have any offspring. You see the little bit of a, a problem there, a contradiction. So Abraham and, and, and his wife are like, hey, we're going we're gonna to try really hard to have kids. And it doesn't work. And so they try harder. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And finally, Abraham's wife's like, I have a great idea that's not going to go wrong at all. How about you sleep with my servant girl? That'll go well. Surely I won't get jealous and everything will go great. And so, yeah, some of you who know the story are like, yeah, that's going well. Um, or some of you that have been married once. Uh, so, and so, no, so, so Abraham has a kid and, and, they, and, and with the servant. And that's great, but now the wife is like, well, actually, I didn't like this plan that I came up with. And so she's praying. Uh, an angel of the Lord shows up. I don't have time to get into all this, the details, but an angel shows up, and, and there is a, in, in Abraham, and, and his old age, he's going to bear a miraculous kid with his wife this time. It's physically not going to happen, but through the Spirit of God and through God's work of miracles, he is going to have a child. And you have a child of works, of man's attempts, and you have a, a, a child born of, of the miracle and of the Spirit. Okay? You have two children. You have Ishmael and Isaac being born. The child of works goes on. In, just It's amazing to me because this isn't, this isn't like Christianity. This is, this is something entirely outside of Christianity. If you know Islam, Islam traces its roots back to Ishmael, the one born of works. And one of the Christians' objections to Islam is that it's, it's a, it's a works-based faith. And so then you have Isaac, who is born of the Spirit, born of, of, of a miracle. And that's who God chooses to bring Jesus in through and fulfill this prophecy. And the one that is born on man's schemings, the firstborn, the first Adam, is born of works and born of, his own, of their own attempts and their schemings. But the one who was then born second, Isaac, is born of the Spirit. And eventually there'll be another miraculous birth that will play into this story later. So let's keep going. Story, uh, the next one we have. Then God, and this is one of the most important ones, God speaks to Abraham and he says this. He says, sacrifice your only son. Now, you're like, wait, he just had two. How does he have an only son? It, his his other son and, and, and the servant girl, they left and they're legally gone now. So now it's his only son. And he says, he speaks to Abraham, sacrifice your only son. And Abraham obeys. And here's what they do. They, they go up to the mountain to sacrifice him. They, they take a donkey. They put all their stuff on, on, the, on the donkey. And they take about three days. They get there. And then, and then Abraham's carrying the, the fire. And Isaac's carrying the wood for the fire. And they're going to do a sacrifice. And Isaac's kind of like, hey, uh, you know, we have all this stuff for the sacrifice. But aren't we missing, like, you know, the sacrifice? And so Abraham is like, hey, God's going to provide here. God's going to go ahead and provide. It's okay. And so they're, they're going up, and I'm sure, I'm sure Isaac's like, okay, Dad, that's, that's fine. We can do that. We've never done that one before, but okay, cool. And so they get up to the top, and Abraham binds Isaac, 
and he goes to sacrifice his only son. And he goes, you know, raises, he's about to, to kill his only son in obedience to God. And God interjects in Genesis twenty two twelve. 12. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son, your son, your only son. Uh, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram, a lamb, caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so Jesus, where is he at in this story? All over it. Remember, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus ever even walks the earth as a man. So, I mean, they taught this through, you know, school, 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 just Jewish boys learned this, they died, they had, they had children, they died, then their kids, and then their kids, and then their kids. This is something that's not like added on later. This is something that has been completely ingrained in the Jewish, Jewish faith and religion and, and their thoughts. And so we have Abraham who obeys God, and he goes up to the, the mountain. He goes up on the hill, goes up to the mountain. Where is Jesus? Crucified, right? And so, and he takes, he rides in, on a, a donkey. Oh, wait, how does Jesus walk in on Palm Sunday? On donkey. It takes them three days. And then they get there, and then Abraham carries the torch, but, but Isaac throws the wood for the sacrifice on his back and carries it. Holy moly. Wait a second. Jesus throws the cross on his back. And as Abraham is finally ready to kill his only son... God intervenes and provides the ram in the thickets. And Abraham's like, this, this is the Lord will provide on this mountain, on this hill. The Lord will provide. And the thing is, he does provide a sacrifice for Isaac much, much later. But it's a different kind. And I love the fact that we see Abraham ready to, to, to sacrifice his only son. And God says, stop. That's going to be my thing. I'm going to do it but I'm not going to withhold it when I do it for the whole world. And finally, let's, let's finish up in Joseph, story of Joseph. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jake Thacker can tell you all about the story of Jacob and how he uh, had many, 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 many children. Uh, Jacob, Jake played uh, Jacob in a, in a play we did or a little thing we did. He really was totally not embarrassed with it. But Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob um, has Joseph, one of his children, and it's, it's uh, Jacob's favorite kid. And so, you know, all the other kids, again, get jealous. All the other brothers, they get jealous, and they, they figure out a plan to get rid of this, this Joseph character. And so they, they end up basically selling him in to slavery. And so Joseph is sold into slavery, even though he has his father's, uh, his father's favor, and they betray him, they sell him. And then, as he is in the midst of servanthood, the midst of slavery, because of his servant-mindedness, he works his way all the way to the top. He is the best servant among all. And in his servant, in his lowness, he is so good, he is excelled to the top. And then he makes a name for himself, but the master of who he's serving's wife is like, hey, Joseph, you know, you're really serving good. Uh, and she decides she wants to sleep with him. He's like, whoa, no, no. He runs, and she, well, it's, 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 a, 
it's a non-slave versus a slave's testimony. That doesn't usually go well. So Joseph is now thrown back in prison, even though he did nothing wrong, did not sin. And he's thrown back into prison, but through a, a, a turn of events, he's interpreting dreams. The Pharaoh ends up hearing about it. The Pharaoh brings him in because he's interpreting dreams. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll kill you if it's wrong, but go ahead. And so Joseph does it, and the Pharaoh's like, holy cow, this guy's amazing. And eventually he rises to the right hand of the Pharaoh. Okay? Where's Jesus in this story? He's all over it. The son who was betrayed by the brothers sold? Wow, Judas, hello. Judas sells Jesus and betrays Jesus, one of his own. And then, what does Christ teach? The first shall be last, the last shall be first through his servantness as he washes his disciples' feet. That is the way to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, there's Joseph's story again. He's the best servant among them, and he rises to the top. But when he is faced with sin and temptation, he doesn't take it. And then he's thrown in prison. He's, he's left for dead. And even even though he's left for dead through the act of miracles, of a miraculous dream, uh, prophetic understanding, he rises back to the right hand of the most powerful man in the entire, probably, world at the time. Whereas Jesus, through his death and resurrection, rises to the right hand of the Father who is in heaven. As Stephen said in front of Saul, who I wonder if Saul made that connection, and Saul like, oh, crap, that's right, he did, oh, my gosh, he said, he's seated. He's seated right there. But the difference is, and, 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 and I, I want to I close here with this um, as we can have the band uh, make their way up, is that all of this had to mess with Saul as he's reading through these scriptures. I didn't even get into Exodus. I would love to get into Exodus. You know, wait till we get to the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, the commandments. It's, he's, Jesus is all over it continuously. But listen, Here's what I want to share with you this morning. Saul didn't see it by his own strength. He didn't find it with his own strength. It wasn't his own intellect. He was really smart and he couldn't see it. In fact, maybe the more intellect and, and intelligence you have, the more you're likely to get in your own way. Because Jesus didn't choose the Pharisees to bring his kingdom into heaven. He chose the fishermen. And the tax collector. He chose the people who are just people. He didn't chose the, choose the holy elite. And so, what I want to challenge us with this morning is if, if anything I said today, you know, inspired something in you, that Jesus is, is all over Scripture, wait till you find out about all of creation. Wait till you find out that not Jesus isn't just in Scripture, but He's all over the place, not just in the Scriptures, but in all of creation that God has been revealing his plan everywhere and anywhere for all of time. And not only in creation, but in your own life. And in some of the testimonies in this room, you could find Jesus written all over their lives. If you, I'm going to ask, I'm, this is part of the plan, uh, but, and, and you guys can go whenever. Uh, so if you've had a testimony where you didn't see it at the time, you didn't see Jesus at the time, you thought it was kind of a problem, or it was something that you thought, this was an inconvenience, I lost a job, uh, something happened, my son was diagnosed, or, or we had a hardship, or I went through a struggle, 
And you didn't see Jesus at the time, but when you looked back, you saw Jesus all over it. If you have a testimony like that, can you raise your hand? Raise your hand up if you have. Okay? So it's not just me. There's a lot of people who have seen it, and it's not necessarily always evident. But we see Jesus written all over Scripture when we look back. We see it written all over creation if we look out. And we see it written all over the lives of people with testimonies that will proclaim that Jesus He's, he's the way, the truth, and the light, and he's the one thing that matters most. And so this morning, I'm not going to pray for you guys to just, you know, just magically just like, you know, understand everything. I'm asking for the Spirit to help us see. Because the truth is, I, I, oh, did I skip? I skipped the story of ba- Babel. I'm sorry. I did that. Well, I did. But ju- I, real quick, the story of Babel, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to spend t- more than a minute. Story of Babel. Man is trying to build a kingdom up to heaven. They're trying to build a tower up to heaven. And God's like, oh, you know, this is, this is a problem. And they're like, hey, let's build it so, so we can make a name for ourselves. And so God confuses the languages and tears it all, and, and, and not to tear it all down. He confuses everybody. They spread out, and it, it doesn't get done. And where's Jesus in this story? Well, here's the deal. Christianity is the only faith where, where man can't build up to heaven. A man has to wait for heaven to come down. And so God is like, if they're all unified as one, nothing can stop them. What's Christ's prayer in John 15? Hey, listen. Listen, I want them to be one. Like I am in you, Father. So it will be a testimony that you have sent me and sent them. Because if they're all together, if they're all as one, nothing can stop them. But they're not going to build a kingdom and make a name for themselves. They're going to build a kingdom to make a name for Jesus Christ, the Savior. And that story, I wanted to share that because I was going to skip that story in the, in the Bible as we were going through it in youth. I, was, I told my wife, she's like, what's next? I was like, oh, Tower of Babel, I don't really want to talk about that. I don't really see anything good in it. She's like, well, if you're going to tell the youth that it's Jesus is in everything, you can't skip stuff just because you can't find it. So I, I remember it, and I, and I was like, yeah, I guess so. And I had to revisit it and look at it some more. And I had to pray, help me see it. And suddenly I saw that Jesus was in the story. It's not even a character in the story. It's just the people. That's all we get. And yet Jesus is there. And I want to say, it wasn't my own intelligence. I had to pray for it. And so as we, as we kind of stand up and get into worship here, uh, if, if you have, if you want to see Jesus more, whether it be through the scriptures or in your life, you know, I, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, okay? And so, you know, if you all stand up and we'll, we'll, we'll get together here in a second, but if you want to either, I, I guess, come forward and the prayer team can come up too. Um, if, you, if you've been like, man, I've been struggling to see Jesus. I've been, I've, I hear about him, but I don't see him. I can't find him. I want to see more of him. I believe I, I want to believe in him, but I just don't see him. You know, I, I invite you to come up this morning and just seek out some prayer. If, if, if you feel like, you know, you've come so far, well, I, I challenge you to say there's so much farther, more farther to go, even myself, okay? There's so much more for us to go, to find Jesus in those things. Because the truth be told is you can either read Scripture and the Bible to say, I want to, I want to prove Jesus, but the problem with that is notice Paul didn't understand any of it until he met Jesus. So you can read and read. That's why when somebody tells me, well, I read through the Bible and I already read it all. I don't believe it. Like, but did you see it? 
You can't have seen it if you don't know Jesus. It's like he's the key that unlocks all of scripture. And once you see him, then the Bible comes alive and then you'll notice, holy moly, this is God breathed. He's all over it. So, you know, if, if, if you want to come up and, and just understand Jesus in a, in a deeper level or see him in a new way, uh, the prayer team will be here to pray for you and we will, we will go ahead and go into a song and then I'll, I'll pray us out. So. Were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified were the whole earth echoing his eminence his name would burst from sea and sky from rivers to the mountain tops we'd hear christ be magnified singing oh christ be magnified just let his praise arise christ be magnified in me singing oh christ be magnified in the altar of my life christ be magnified in me when every strong and worship you if it puts me through the fire 
in all things because if your son is proclaimed in scripture and if your son is proclaimed in creation let it also be proclaimed in our hearts let people look at us and see hey there's Jesus all over it there's Jesus changing a jealous man into a a humble servant of Christ there is Jesus taking someone that was full of greed who now lives a life with open hands handing out to anyone in need. Let our hearts magnify Christ Jesus to the rest of the world so that when we proclaim and scripture proclaims and creation proclaims Jesus Christ that they'll see, that they'll see and and the spirit will reach into them and say, look, Jesus has been there all along for you. Let our hearts be transformed by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Let us not see as the blind anymore. Let us understand you on a deeper level because the more we see and understand Jesus Christ, the exact representation of the Father who is in heaven, the more we see you, God. And we thank you for your faithfulness, your continued grace and mercy, your patience and long-suffering with us as we fumble through life trying to figure things out and I pray that people who have come up today and made a case to understand you more will see the way the Spirit intended them to see. 
give you all glory and honor this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Stand strong and worship If it puts me through the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too And I won't be for my feelings I'll hold fast to what is true Cause if the cross brings transformation I'll be crucified with you This is just a doorway Christ be magnified.